Well, good morning and welcome to week number two of our series, Songs of Summer. And if you're here last week, you know that as we gather each week this summer, we are going to be exploring some different psalms. Today, uh, we are digging into Psalm 84, which is a very powerful psalm about desire, about longing, about satisfaction. And it is so important that we get this right because what we desire really does determine the course of our lives. If we desire to be rich, we will make decisions all along the way to try to get there. If we desire to be famous, we are, we're going to shape our lives in that direction. If we desire power or beauty, well, whatever it is, it determines the course of our lives. And so it is really important that we desire the right things so that we end up in the right place. The question today then for you, each one of us, is what do you desire? Really, what do you want? Do you know? Are you aware? Uh, I want you to imagine maybe kind of silly illustration, but on your way home today, you see a garage sale and you decide to stop because you you think, hey, um, I don't have enough junk in my house, so I'm gonna get some of their junk and add it to the junk I already have. And as you're going through their stuff, you see one of those Aladdin-style lamps, and you buy it. It's 10 cents. And you take it home, and you think to yourself, wouldn't it be hilarious, like, if I rubbed the lamp and a genie came out? And so you do, because, you know, and a genie does pop out. But this genie, when he appears before you, he doesn't give you three wishes like in Aladdin, He says, you know, you bought me for a dime. I'm a discount genie, so you only get one wish. And you only have five seconds. Go. So what do you wish for? I mean, five seconds. Go. What what are you going to choose? I think chances are for most of us, we kind of slide in the direction of something related to finances. And many of us, maybe it's about career. Maybe it's about a relationship. Maybe it's about health or healing. And there's nothing inherently wrong with any of those things. But what if I told you this morning that every one of those kind of natural wishes would actually be a waste of your wish? What if I told you that all of those things are distractions? They're distractions from the one infinitely better thing that you should be wishing for. And what if I told you that that one infinitely better thing you should be wishing for, you don't have to wish for. Because you can actually already have it right here, right now. I want to show you what I'm talking about from Psalm 84. And if you'll look at your copy of God's Word or follow up on the screen as we go along, you might notice up at the very top, right under the Psalm 84 heading, there's a note. And It says, for the director of music, according to Gatith, of the sons of Korah, a psalm. And and let me just explain a little bit about this. We don't really know what that word Gatith means. We just know it's like a a musical term of some kind. It may be telling uh, us that you you should play the psalm on a certain kind of an instrument. It may be actually telling us what kind of psalm it is, Uh, like in our term, say a classical music psalm or a rap psalm, or a country and western psalm. I mean, it could happen, you don't know. But some kind of psalm. And then it says sons of Korah. Now we know that these were 
worship leaders at the temple in Jerusalem, and they're the ones that wrote this, and they're the ones that actually called it a psalm, which means it's a song, like I mentioned last week when we opened this series. And so this was a song. It was written by worship leaders at the temple. And as we're going to discover, it was written for people who were on their way to the temple. And to understand this song, we need to know ahead of time that that the temple was a really, really big deal in the lives of the people of ancient Israel. And the reason was this, the temple was where God lived. Now, maybe right now you're kind of thinking to yourself, but God's too big to live inside of the temple. I mean, he cannot be housed within any building, and you'd be right. God cannot be contained by a temple or a city or a country or a continent or a whole planet or all the planets in the solar system or the galaxy or even all the universe itself, as vast as it is, it's not anywhere big enough to contain God. But the Bible tells us that God in his infinite wisdom during the Old Testament era chose to manifest his presence, to make his presence known and felt in a tangible way in one particular place, and that was the temple in Israel. And so when people went to that temple, they went to experience God's presence. And this is what the psalmist is writing about. So we're going to work our way through this, like one verse or so at a time, looking at uh, three main truths that help us understand how we can find real satisfaction. Here's the first truth, and you can write this down in your notes. The psalmist tells us that only God's presence meets our deepest needs. In other words, whatever it is you think you most need, you only find in God. The psalmist begins in verse 1 by saying this, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. And he's not just saying, God, your temple is a beautiful piece of architecture. I mean, it was. The temple was beautiful because a building meant to contain the presence of the creator God, who is beauty himself. I mean, it, it should be beautiful. And it was. But the psalmist is saying, your temple is lovely, Lord, because you are there. And he cannot wait to get to the temple where he can experience God's presence. And what this psalmist is understanding is something we must grasp that if we ever want to know what it means to experience true satisfaction in life, we have to see this. See, the truth is, whatever it is you most desire, whatever you are wanting most deeply in your life, what you are truly looking for underneath that, what alone in the end will satisfy you, will bring you lasting satisfaction, that can only be found in God's presence. And we try to satisfy our longings in so many other ways. And have you ever noticed how constantly frustrated we are? how we never quite seem to get there, how it's always just a little bit out of our grasp. See, the reason for this is what the psalmist is talking about here. There's only one place where we will find real, lasting, true satisfaction, and it's only in the presence of God. Now, as you're going to see, Psalm 84 really kind of gives us a whole list of these things, and I'm going to give them to you. The first thing the psalmist says is we find safety in God's presence. And we see this in the word the psalmist uses here to describe God. In verse 1, he calls him Lord Almighty. Now, some of you know this, but maybe you don't. Whenever you see the word Lord in the Old Testament, and it's in all caps, it's telling you, this is a signal from the translators, 
that this is the personal name of God. This is Yahweh. And then that word almighty, uh, sometimes it's translated armies or hosts, as in Lord of armies or Lord of hosts. It's, it's where we get that phrase we sing in one of our songs, God of angel armies. And this is a title that depicts God as the commander of immense angelic forces. It's, it's a title that shows us how God fights on behalf of his people, how God protects his people, how he keeps them safe because God is omnipotent and he has all these hosts of angels at his disposal. Now I'm pointing this out because this particular title is actually fairly rare in the book of Psalms. It only occurs six times in all 150 Psalms, but three of those times are right here in Psalm 84. And so that tells us this title is very important to this psalmist. He, he looks at God and he says, God, Yahweh, you are the commander of armies. And because of that, I know I'm safe in your presence. I know that my safety does not come from my money. It does not come from my power. It does not come from my intelligence because nothing I am, nothing I have keeps me safe. Oh, Lord, almighty like you do. We find safety in God's presence. Verse 2, the psalmist says, My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. And this is, I think you can hear it, very powerful language. The psalmist says that in the same way our, our flesh cries out for those things we most desperately need, like, like water and food. And when we don't get those things, we are weak he says, that's what your presence is like to me, O oh God. My, my entire being longs for you, yearns for you, and when I don't have you, I faint. Something is missing. And what he's saying here is God's presence satisfies our hunger. In other words, the deepest longings we have. See, in the same way you feel weak when you don't get water or food, when we don't experience God's presence, we are weak. See, our culture is always telling us, have you noticed, that our hungers get satisfied in other ways. Heard an interesting story recently about a person sitting in a freshman psychology class at a secular university, and the professor was talking about Maslow's hierarchy of human needs. Anybody remember that from psychology class? And if you don't, Abraham Maslow was a psychologist. This was done in the middle of the last century, and he developed this concept to explain what he thought our most fundamental human needs were. And, and it's kind of a triangle thing with sections going up. Maybe you remember as you move up, it's, it's, it's uh, at the bottom of the chart, the basic needs like air and food and water, and you move up, then it's things like safety and relationships and feelings of, uh, of uh, intimacy with other people and accomplishment. And at the top, there's self-actualization. That's the highest need, he thought. And he said, if we don't get those things, we, we break and something goes wrong inside of us. We're not healthy in a psychological sense. Well, this professor was explaining all this. And then surprisingly, at this secular university, he stopped and he said to these students, you know, I need to be honest with you. After years of clinical work with patients, I've come to realize this chart's not complete. There's actually a big missing element here. As a psychologist, I have come to believe that we need God even more. 
He said, when people don't have God, they're broken, and that's the only thing that will satisfy them. And this was a secular university, and it was almost like he didn't want to go there, but he was forced to. It was inescapable because he was realizing in some way that we are made to be in a relationship with God. We were made to experience God's presence, and when we don't have that, we start to fall apart. The psalmist He said that thousands of years before this psychologist recognized it. We need God. God's presence satisfies our hunger. Verse 3 says, Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young a place near your altar, O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. And, And the picture he's painting here would be that at the temple with the really tall walls and the eaves at the top of the temple walls, The sparrows, the swallows, these little birds would make their nest there. But I want you to notice that very first word in that sentence. It's even. He says, even the sparrows and swallows have access to your presence. Why why does he say even? And the answer, quite simply, is sparrows and swallows are not VIBs, very important birds. They're just not. They're common They're not worth much. They're not important. Nobody cares about them. But to God, the psalmist says, they are important. God gives them access to his presence. And and what he's communicating to us, I think, is we find true worth and acceptance in God's presence. Have you noticed how the world is constantly ranking us according to all these different metrics? See, our worth gets determined by the size of our bank accounts, um, by how far we have climbed the career ladder, by how smart or how athletic our kids are, by the houses we live in, the cars we drive, the clothes we wear. I mean, all kinds of things. You know, how many Instagram followers we have, all kinds of metrics. They, they rank us, and, and we often find ourselves feeling like we come up short, don't we? We're constantly wondering Am I really worth something? Many of you right now, I know, you wonder about that. And the psalmist says to you, are you listening? Yes. You are absolutely worth something. You are absolutely so very valuable because God, creator of the universe, invites you into his presence. See, even if the world says you have no worth, That's not how God sees you. And here's the important point of this psalm. It is in God's presence, when you get close to God, that you begin to understand that, you begin to feel that, you begin to accept that into your life. He goes on to say, they have a place near your altar, O Lord Almighty, these birds. And the altar was one of the most important parts of the temple because it was a permanent reminder of both bad and good news. I'll give you the bad news first. The altar was a permanent reminder that we don't actually belong in God's presence anymore. And we were made for God's presence, created to be in a relationship with God, but the very first people God created broke that relationship by rebelling against God, and the Bible calls that rebellion sin, and we each have continued in that rebellion, every single one of us. See, our sin breaks our relationship with God. But it's kind of interesting. Note this. It's not because God says, I don't want you anymore. I don't love you anymore. I don't care about you. The problem 
is that our sin actually causes us to be, be repelled by the presence of the God that we long for. Have you ever thought about that? We don't want to do what he tells us. We want to do what we want to do. And he says in his word that the universe is about him and about his glory, which actually makes a whole lot of sense if he's the one who created it, right? But we want to make it about us, our desires, our wants. We don't want someone telling us what to do. And so our sin creates a barrier between us and the holiness of God. And the altar is a permanent reminder of that separation. But it's also a permanent reminder of good news. And the good news is that God was never content and will never be content with our separation, that God continues to love us and to invite us into his presence. He continues to fight for our acceptance. Did you notice the psalmist uses that same title again for God, Lord Almighty, fighter, commander? He's saying that God has fought for our presence in his presence, our acceptance. And the way that was done in the Old Testament with this altar was every day they they came to that altar and they offered sacrifices because sin's a big deal. You can't just say, ignore it, excuse it, forget about it, pretend it never happened. Sin is always far more serious than that. Romans 6, 23, do you know that verse? says, the wages of sin is death. See, death is the only way you pay for God's sin, God says. You pay for sin, God says. It is that serious. Death must be involved. And so every day they would come to the altar and they killed animals. They spilled their blood out. And and so that was their act of faith that God would provide forgiveness. What they didn't understand fully, what we know today is that every day in that time when those Old Testament animals were slaughtered on the Old Testament altar, they were anticipating what God himself would do to purchase our forgiveness 2,000 years ago when he sent his only son, Jesus, and he came and he lived a perfect life, and then he climbed up himself on that altar in our place, that altar we call the cross. Jesus died in our place. Jesus purchased our forgiveness. And so the altar is, do you see it, a permanent reminder of both good news and bad news. That God Almighty is willing because of his love for us to actually purchase our forgiveness. Because of that, we find in God's presence true worth and acceptance. You know, so many of us, We just spend our entire lives constantly, desperately searching for acceptance and worth. I'm here to tell you today, everything that you've been searching for, longing for, wanting, deeply desiring can be found in God's presence, and it comes at God's expense. That's how much he loves you. He was willing to pay the price to forgive you and bring you into his presence. Anybody want to say amen right now? Look at verse 4. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. And blessed is kind of a spiritual word, right? I mean, we've kind of trivialized it in our culture. Who goes around saying, hashtag blessed? You know, we, we moved it out of the church, but it becomes kind of superficial. And it sounds kind of religious and spiritual, but at its root, it just means happy. It's just speaking of joy. And so the psalmist is saying that we find happiness in God's presence. Now, 
a lot of Christians get confused about this, but the reality is everyone wants to be happy. It's just a universal human longing. And here's the confusion. There's actually nothing wrong with that. You know, it's July 4th week. Some of you are already super excited because you're going to blow stuff up in a few days. We know who you are. Um, And this time of year, we're reminded that the United States of America is founded on the concept that everyone should want to be happy, right? I mean, it's like in the Constitution or, you know, we believe in life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. See, it's because America... At our founding, we recognize happiness as an intrinsic human need that we said we will allow people to pursue happiness. And because of that, the United States of America is actually the happiest nation on earth, right? That was a joke for those of you who aren't awake. Um, (laughs) So here's the question. Why would a nation founded on pursuing happiness have such a hard time finding it? Maybe because we're looking in the wrong place. Maybe because we'll never find it except in God's presence. That's the only place we find happiness. Those who dwell in God's presence are blessed. You see, this psalmist is unfolding, unpacking how God meets all of our deepest needs, and he keeps going. Here's the second truth I want you to see. Write this down. Real satisfaction comes as we pursue God's presence. Verse 5 says, Blessed or happy or joyful are those whose strength is in you who have set their hearts on Pilgrimage. Now, he's obviously saying, you can write this down, we find strength in God's presence, but don't miss something else. It's a little subtle here. He says that strength comes to those who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. Kind of interesting statement. Pilgrimage is a religious journey. It's a journey from wherever they are in Israel to the temple, to God's presence. And we, we might sort of expect him to, him to say that when you get there, you will experience strength. I mean, you get into God's presence. But what he actually says is strength comes to those who are on the journey, those who are on the way. So we find strength, not just in God's presence, but in the pursuit of God's presence. In the very act as Christ followers of us fixing our eyes on Jesus. We are strengthened. When we say, Jesus, you are where I'm headed. You are who I'm moving toward. Have you ever noticed how that just pours strength into your life? You find strength in the pursuit of God's presence. Look what he says next, verses 6 through 8. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They Go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. Now the Valley of Baca was a a dry desert place, kind of a desolate place. It was a hard place to go through on the way to the temple. And the psalmist is reminding us that life's journey is often hard. And as we're seeking God, pursuing his presence, seeking to draw near to him, we often experience hardship. But have you ever noticed, anybody want to give a testimony today how in even dry and difficult times, God's strength comes to us again and again. God's strength renews us again and again. I don't know if you know this, but the the weather in Israel is a lot like the weather we have in California. And uh, we have, you've probably heard this said before, a Mediterranean climate, right? Right? Well, after the early spring, usually, 
we don't have rain for a really long time. And have you ever noticed by the time you get into October, everything is dry, everything is like gray with dust, it's just dead. But then the autumn rains come, and they fill up those dry, empty pools, and things get green. And he's saying that God's strength pours into us even in dry and dusty desolate places and our strength is renewed verse 7 says they go from strength to strength i i think he's saying here that different stages of the journey require different kinds of strength like if you're climbing up a mountain on a hike if you notice it takes one kind of strength but even going down you think that would be easy but that takes another kind of strength and then like if you're on a journey and it's just a long boring flat straight road well that takes the strength of endurance and and patience He's saying along the way in life we face different challenges and each of those challenges require different kinds of strength. But he says if our eyes are fixed on Jesus, if we are pursuing God's presence, then we find whatever we need for each challenge we're going to face on the journey, pursuing God's presence. You know, I don't know what challenges you're going to face later today or tomorrow or next month, or a year from now, or a decade from now, what I do know is this, if your eyes are fixed on Jesus, if you are pursuing him, if you are desiring him and his presence, you will find whatever you need to face whatever you have to face. Do you know that? Every single challenge In verse 8, we see that he's praying with confidence. And there's two reasons, I think, that are there. Notice he he prays to the Lord God Almighty. We already talked about that. So he's affirming again that God has the power to answer his his request anytime, anywhere. You, Yahweh, you are the Lord of armies. I know you have the power. But second, he says, listen to me, God of Jacob. Now, here he is appealing to God's covenant, the covenant. The promises God made to his people as he goes back to one of the patriarchs. He, he remembers all the times and ways that God has answered prayer and provided and protected and guided and he's delivered his people. And he says, you've done it then, God. I know you can do it again. He's looking to God's goodness. God, I know, he says, you not only have the power, but I know you are good and willing to answer because I've seen you do it in my life again and again. Have you seen him do this in your life? Anybody here? See, we see so beautifully in these verses in Psalm 84 that real satisfaction comes as we pursue God's presence. I want you to look at the last four verses. And this is kind of the climax of the psalm. And what these verses, I think, tell us is this. Nothing in this world is better than God's presence. Verse 9 says, look upon our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. And he's praying here for the king. The king was called the shield of Israel, the anointed one. He was put there to protect and care for people. And so he prays for the king, just as we should pray for our government leaders, like God commands us in 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 4. And maybe as he's thinking about the king and the king's court, it causes him to think again about the courts of the temple. And in verse 10 he writes what are probably the most familiar words to us. He writes what are assuredly some of the most beautiful words in all of the Bible. He's expressing a thought here that we all need to just take and drill down deep into the very core of our souls when he says, better 
is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. He is saying there's nothing better than God's presence. He is saying he wouldn't trade one day in God's presence for anything else on earth. And again, this is driving us to examine our desires, to ask ourselves, what do I really want? What do I think will bring us real satisfaction? Here's a thought. It's vacation time. Lots of people are going places. Lots of us are traveling. Where do you think of traveling? I mean, what's on your bucket list? You think, if I could just check that one off, if I could just go there, what would it be for you? Some of you think because it's hot that I would like a winter ski trip in a luxury lodge up at Lake Tahoe. A lot of you, it would be a month in Maui. Maybe some of you, you would go, what about an entire year in the French Riviera? I mean, that sounds good, all that, right? I mean, I'd like to go. Anybody want to help me out with a ticket? I'll take it. But the psalmist says, just one day in God's presence is better than any of that. He says next, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. In other words, he's saying it's better to have just a little with God than to have everything without God. Now, he's thinking in this case about wicked people who have grown rich by their wickedness. In other words, they've lied, they've stolen, and now they're rich, they have everything. But the psalmist knows without the presence of God, it is not enough. It won't matter in the end. And the psalmist, because he knows this, he says, I would rather take the most humble position in God's house, even at the outside, just out at the door, just being an usher. I was thinking about this this week, and you know it's baseball season. And I was reminded of a unique feature at Oracle Park where the Giants play. A lot of you know about this. If you walk along the water um, alongside McCovey Cove, you've seen this. There's this place in the corner of right field where you actually can go under the right field stands and they've got chain link fence in there and you can actually stand. You're outside the park, but they'll let some people in there for free to watch the game. Now, only a few people get in at a time, and they, they move you along um, every 20 minutes or so, I think it is, maybe every three innings. And I was just thinking about that, and it occurred to me. It's like the psalmist is saying right here, I would rather stand and watch the giants from outside the park and only see part of the game, and not very well, than have season tickets behind home plate at Dodger Stadium. I'm just doing my job, friends. Just exegeting God's word right here, speaking truth. That's what I'm here for. That's all I'm doing. Well, why would he say this? Because places cannot satisfy. Because nothing else is better than God's presence. One day in God's presence... That is better. And he's reminding us of this truth that we only find contentment in God's presence. 
And it's only when we find the real satisfaction that comes from contentment that our frantic and desperate search for satisfaction, that search so many of us are on, and it is exhausting you. It is tearing you up. It is wearing you out. It's only when you get this that that search can come to an end because you will know that you can find peace in God's presence. I'm asking you today, are you there? I mean, maybe not all the time, but are you more and more finding contentment, finding real satisfaction just in who God is? You know, if you think about it, contentment comes from humility And humility comes from truly being in God's presence. And and this happens when we get to that moment where we go, I don't need to be all that if I can be near the one who is. I don't need achievements. I don't need prestige and power. I don't need anything else if I can just be near the God who is everything. Humility is not just what comes from the presence of God. Are you aware that it is what is required to get into the presence of God? God doesn't let proud people get close to him. See, you cannot get into God's presence without accepting his gift. And we know as followers of Christ, those who have read the New Testament, that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is the gift of God, and it's the only thing that makes it possible to go into the presence of God, to be forgiven of sin, to be washed clean, and you cannot earn that. You cannot abide that. You just have to receive it without humility You can't. You can't receive the gift of new life that is offered to you in the person of Jesus Christ by his death and his resurrection. And so in the presence of God, we find humility. The last two verses tell us that the Lord God is a sun and shield, and this is a reminder that in God's presence we find provision and protection. The sun is provision. A shield is protection. Those come from God. He goes on to say the Lord bestows favor and honor. This tells us we find approval in the presence of God. And again, again, I mean, some of you know what I'm talking about right here. You've spent your whole lives desperately seeking someone else's approval and you've never found it. Maybe it started at home. We just wanted dad to approve us, to say he was proud of us, to say he loved us. And now maybe it's a spouse. Now maybe it's a boss. For some of us, it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Or for some of us, it's a group of friends. And we're constantly seeking the approval of others. And we're always feeling like we cannot quite measure up. We never quite get it. It's always on the verge of slipping away, even if we have begun to sense it for just a little while. But he says to us, the Lord, his presence, that's what gives you favor and honor. That's where you find approval. Because you are washed clean, because you are my child, you have an approval that will never slip away from you. And here's the reason why. It is not based on anything you've done or anything you will ever do. It is based on the love of God. It is based on the grace of God. God gives it to you because he says, you are my child. We find approval in the presence of God. He goes on to say, no good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. And you can write down here, 
we find every good thing. He's giving us kind of some universal statements throughout the psalm. You know, all the things we long for, all the truly good things we find in God's presence. Now, I want to point something out because I think the NIV translation here may be a little confusing when it says, no good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. And in English, doesn't that sort of sound like you only get all of this good stuff if you're perfect? I mean, how many of us are perfect? The Bible says, none of us, in case you were tempted to raise your hand. (laughs) The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, so no one's perfect. And if you think that, you might think, well, what kind of terrible psalm is this then? I mean, you're telling us all these great things you can get in God's presence, but you only get them if you're perfect? It's like, psych. Sorry, not for you. Other translations, I think, help us out here. I think we misunderstand this word blameless. The ESV says those who walk uprightly. Uh, The New Living Translation says those who do what is right. And the core idea is no good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is sound. In other words, from those who are walking in the right direction. Does that make sense? Where are you walking towards? Well, towards God. No good thing does he withhold from those who are walking towards the presence of God because their eyes are on Jesus and they are focused on Jesus. And from those people, no good thing is withheld. That's a promise. Are you living by it? Are you claiming it for your life? And he says, verse 12, O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Why? Well, because nothing is better than God's presence. Nothing is better than God's presence. Would you say that with me? Nothing is better than God's presence. And here's the crazy thing when you stop to think about that, where we are coming from. We, we live on this side of the cross, on this side uh, of the empty grave. When the psalmist wrote this, think about this. He's, he's obviously super crazy excited about going to be in God's presence in the temple. But here's the thing. He gets to go maybe once or twice a year and just for a, a few days. He gets to spend just a few days on, on the grounds of the temple near the presence of God. And he is like so excited about this. He's like all these things in God's presence. It's unbelievable. There's safety and protection and approval and favor. It's amazing. And he just gets to have it a few times a year, a few days that he's at the temple I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul says, writing to those who have put their faith in Jesus. This is Romans 8, 11. He says that if the spirit of him, that is of God, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit, uh, of who lives in you. You see, what Paul is saying is when we put our trust in Jesus, when we come into a relationship with God through faith in Jesus, he doesn't just say, okay, you are allowed to come to the temple every now and then. He says, that's the past. Here's the present and the future. How about I just make you a temple? How about I just bring myself in the person of the Holy Spirit down into your heart, into your very life? See, again, the psalmist is so excited because 
He gets to go to the temple, the presence of God, just a couple of days a year. And yet what Paul says to us is this. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, because we are in relationship with the Father through the Son, God himself lives in you by the Holy Spirit. The presence of God is available to us every moment of every day. And yet, we often live, can we talk? Can we be honest? We often live as if we think other things are better than God's presence. Let me just ask you, as you hear God's word, where are you headed? Will you check your course? Will you evaluate the direction you're going? Let Psalm 84 redirect you today. And if you realize you're off course, then identify those counterfeit sources of satisfaction that you're seeking and realize they're never going to satisfy you. Only God can do that. And then make some decisions in your life to correct your course. You know, this happens in our lives week by week through worship like we're doing today, through hearing God's word like we've been doing, through praying both corporately and individually. It happens through community when we're in small groups together. It also happens when we serve other people. When we adjust course, we get our eyes on Jesus. We put our focus back on him. We head to him. But then ultimately, at the end of the day, honestly, what needs to happen is something else, and that is a kind of spiritual surgery that basically only God can do, that only God can really do. Only God can thoroughly change our desires, and so we pray. And so maybe the most important thing you can pray for, let's just call it a satisfaction overhaul. Ask God to change your desires, your longings, your heart. Pray to the Father and ask him to give you a heart for him and him alone. 